Now, I'm turning to our text, and while you're turning there, I appreciated so much the special emphasis of prayer for some of the names that you saw on the board, and some of them uh, we've just found out about. And uh, But you prayed for, for Colby and um, his mom and his dad, Charles, and, and Sandy just really crying out to God, and God is moving. And then Chris Tetzentla. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's an Hispanic family that has been coming for many, many, well over 20, I guess close to 25 years. And Chris Sr. doesn't speak English. And he comes to this service and serves faithfully as an usher every Sunday, has done so week in, week out for years. And his son sits there and translates for him. We have a Spanish service at 2.15, but he wants to be here in this service. And I, I tell you what, that level of commitment, it blesses me. I know it's got to touch God. Well, last night he had to be rushed to the hospital and he's very ill. And so I especially appreciate the emphasis that we're placing on praying for these two individuals. And they're watching some of the family is right now. And I know they're grateful for your prayers. I'm turning to Leviticus 26 and verse number nine. I will look favorably upon you. I'm going to tell you, I could stop and preach that right there. Lord have mercy. Making you fertile and multiplying your people. Hey, I could preach that too. I can spend the whole message on that. And I will fulfill my covenant with you. I sure could preach that. But our emphasis is verse 10. You will have such a surplus of crops that you will need to clear out the old grain and make room for the new harvest. And then God said, I will live among you and not despise you. I will walk among you. I will be your God and you will be my people. I will preach that before the year's over. And then verse 13, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt so you would no longer be slaves. I broke the yoke of slavery from your neck so you can walk with your heads held high. What a word. I want you to notice in particular, again, verse 10, you will have such a surplus of crops that you will need to clear out the old grain to make room for the new harvest. Mm. My message today is get the junk out and put it by the road. Get the junk out. Father, I thank you for your word today that is a lamp unto our feet and a light into our path. And I pray that you will speak to us right now, illuminate your word in our hearts, set our hearts aflame with the word of God, open its understanding, break it down that we can grasp it and then let it become fiber of our being. As we see the promises of God become realities. In Jesus name. And everybody shouted and said amen. Amen. Our text tells us that God is committed to blessing us. (laughs) That by itself. Is incredible news. God says in fact that surplus is coming. 
That's what he's telling Israel. He said, there's so much coming that I'm going to tell you, frankly, Israel, that you don't have room for what I'm getting ready to do in your life unless you get rid of some of the old stuff that you've been hanging on to. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, how could that possibly be? Given the right circumstances that might happen, but after 2020, you got to be kidding, Pastor, right? You're not serious. After COVID? Oh, really? <laughs> Come on, Pastor. You're not really telling me that it's going to happen in the middle of all of this, are you? I am. I want you to notice that it is important for a believer to understand that the God we serve doesn't depend upon circumstances being this way or that way before he decides whether or not he can bless you. God doesn't look around to see if the conditions are favorable or not. Mm. He can bless you when everything around you is going crazy. Whether it is an opportune time or not doesn't even matter to God. You can feel like you've been in the middle of a meat grinder. And all of a sudden God can change things just like that. And choose, I mean absolutely decide to bless you in the worst possible circumstances. In fact, when we read in Isaiah 43, 19, this is what God said. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Wait a minute. You didn't, you didn't get that. I said, now it shall spring forth. I need somebody to say now. Come on. I need somebody to say now. Now it will spring forth. You know what I'm talking about by spring? You compress a spring and let it go and boom. I mean, it jumps to its full measure, amen, and length. And what God is saying is, I've got something I'm getting ready to do, but it's where God says that he's going to do it that blesses me. For God said, shall you not know it? I will make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Mm. God was talking about blessing people in the middle of the desert, not waiting till they got out of the desert when circumstances were conducive to being blessed. He said, no, right in the middle of your mess, right in the middle of your distress, right in the middle of you doing without, right in the middle of COVID, right in the middle of job losses, I'm going to create a river in the middle of your deserts. And he said, now it shall spring forth. That's a word for somebody in this house. And that's a word for somebody in the Inspire Online family. Now it's going to happen. God's not going to wait till next year. This is the time and the season that your deliverance and blessings are coming forth. Hallelujah. Somebody ought to give God some praise in this house. Oh, bless his name. Now it shall spring forth right now. But God, it doesn't look like it can. I'm in the middle of a desert. I'm in the middle of the wilderness. God said, don't even worry about that. 
I'm the one that created deserts. I create rivers wherever I want to. I can make a river appear right in the middle of the driest parcel of ground you've ever seen. In fact, I can make water gush out of a rock. I can do anything I want to do because I'm God. In the worst possible circumstance, I can cause your blessings to be released. You see, God can defeat an army with only 300 men as he did with Gideon. God will even tell you, you've got too many people on your side. I need to send some of them home. Because when I show up and do what I'm going to do, I want it to be so clear in your mind that it was me that you will never stop praising me for what I did. So don't you be distressed, but just because it's late in the midnight hour, I'm a God who can turn it around like the song said a while ago. Or he can feed 5,000 in the desert. And I'm talking about 5,000 men, not just men, but the women and the children that came with him too. 5,000 men. And we're talking about probably 20,000 people that he fed with only two loaves and five fish. Hmm. Without Orion's Cajun Cafe, Long John Silver's, or a Papa Do's Insights. The God that I'm talking about, fish don't belong in the desert. You catch fish in the ocean. You catch them in water. Desert is the antithesis of water. But what God says is, I'm God. I can feed you fish in the middle of the desert if I want to. I can make a harvest spring up that will blow your mind. Now it shall spring forth. Sometimes you just, though, have to make room for God to be able to bless you. In Psalms 81 and 10, God said it like this, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. And what he is suggesting is, is that you're so full that I can't give you what you need to receive. You've got to create space, open your mouth wide. And so in this message today, I want to talk to you about getting rid of some stuff that's taking up space where your blessing is supposed to be. Mm, hallelujah. And herein lies the problem because you and I hang on to things that we ought to let go of because we are motivated by the fear of loss or a sense of loss. And we think that we're going to lose something important to us if we obey God and put the jump by the road. I won't tell you one of the things I've learned in all these years of serving God. God will never ask you to get rid of something that he doesn't have something better in store to replace it with. Oh, hallelujah. But this is what often keeps people stuck in life. They're stuck in negative thinking. They are stuck in the wrong emotions. They're stuck in bad health. They're stuck in bad dietary habits or stuck in bad relationships because they don't believe they can find anybody else. So I better keep what I've got because if I lose him, Nobody else is going to be interested in little old me. Sometimes you got to look at what you have. 
I'm not talking about your husband right now. So husbands, just breathe a sigh of relief and settle back down in your seat. You know, I'm not, I'm not instructing your wife to put you by the road. And husband, I'm not instructing you to do that with your wife. This instruction is for, for some of you single people out there that can't seem to make a relationship work. Sometimes you've got to get rid of this one so God can send you... You got to throw out Mr. Wrong so God can send you Mr. Right. Amen. The same thing is happening also in countless numbers of our lives in terms of our finances. We've developed bad spending habits and people live in poverty and they get stuck trying to impress people that you shouldn't even be worried what they think about you anyway. There you are all upset and concerned about what Joe's thinking about you. And he's the last person in the world you ought to be worried about what he's thinking. Amen. But you let him hold you back or you let her hold you back. And, and you get into a cycle. What you have to come to understand is there's only one thing you can't afford to lose on in your life. You and your family cannot afford to lose the divine favor of Almighty God. Everything else is subject to being replaced. You can replace cars. You can replace houses. God can help you do all of that. But you can't replace the divine favor of God. You and your family have got to hold on to that at all times. Amen. Many of us know what, what it's like to have to do a house clean. How many of you in this room, your home was damaged in Hurricane Harvey? Could I see your hand? Hands raised? Not so many. God bless you. That's wonderful. But boy, we ministered to a lot of people over at the other location whose homes were torn up. Amen. We gave over a million dollars. I think it was $1.3 million away, plus fed tens of thousands of families in that ordeal. You'd drive through the neighborhoods at the other location and here behind the church and good heavens. It'd be debris stacked up beside the road, almost as tall as the house itself was. And you know something? You can't tell that anything is going on inside the house if there's no stack of junk beside the road. I'm preaching better than you're talking about right back to me about right now. Amen. You aren't on the way to getting things back to where they used to be until you can look out your window and see a mountain of stuff out there stacked by the road waiting for somebody to come pick it up. I'm talking about moldy carpet. I'm talking about messed up sheetrock and silatex uh, ceiling tile rather. And I'm talking about furniture that's got to be put out there because it's water damaged. You You're not getting a new sofa in the house till you get rid of the one that's ruined. Amen. And countless times in the months and even the first couple of years after Harvey, if you had listened, you could have heard workers repeat this statement and repairmen. They would say this over and over again to one another. Put the trash out by the road. 
put the trash by the road. As they rip things out of houses, sheetrock coming down, wiring coming out, floor tile coming up, carpet soaked in mildewed coming out, and they would say, put that junk by the road. I hear in that an instruction from the Holy Spirit. God's talking to somebody in this house that as we begin this new year for you to move into the divine favor of God, God's saying there's some stuff you need to rip out and let go of and put the junk by the road. Hallelujah. Our text is actually amazing. It blows my my mind. And I mean like, wow. What a promise. You can read the whole Bible through and not find a more inspiring promise than the one that is our text for this new year. As we talk about getting used to different. Because we want things to go back the same. We want to keep the same sofa. It's got water stains all over it now. We want to live in the same house. Mildews growing and fungus all over the walls. Carpet smells rank. We want, we want to keep everything the same in our lives. And we think that, that everything has to be like that for us to be comfortable. And we don't want change. But God said you got to get used to different. There's some new stuff I'm getting ready to do in your life. There's some new beginnings I'm getting ready to give some of you. There, there's some new starts in life. There's some new breakthroughs that are coming your way. And you hold on to the old one. I can't give you what I got in store for you. But you have to get used to different. And I look at this text of scripture in the book of Leviticus. And man, what a promise. And frankly, it's a surprise that it's found in the book of Leviticus of all places. Because that's not your go-to book if you want inspiration. i just tell you that right now. Amen. It's got all these laws, one law after another law and law upon law and this law to explain that law. And oh my heavens, it, it's, it's full of laws. In fact, the word Leviticus in the Hebrew is Vayikra. And it means, and he God called, referring to the tribe of Levi that God set apart as the priestly tribe. God called Levi and his descendants to be the priestly tribe. And the book of Leviticus is all about the instructions that they as priests needed to know to be able to serve Israel as their intermediaries between God and man. In the Greek, you would call the name of the book Luitikon, which means the law of the priest. It was the law of the priest. In other words, both in the Hebrew and in the Greek, the name of the book Leviticus is recognized as coming from the laws and the regulations that pertain specifically to the priestly tribe in Israel that were called the Levites. This book particularly refers refers to the laws that, that govern the action and the work of the priest. From the tribe of Levi. And Levi, you will remember, was paternally descended as the third son of Jacob and was the ancestral forefather of the tribe of the Levites who were the priestly tribe. 
Now, I want to give you some background on this book, so don't go to sleep on me. It will make you appreciate the promises that I'm talking about a whole lot more. Levi had three sons. Did you know that? They were named Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And they formed the three priestly families or clans in Israel that were of the tribe of Levi. Some of you didn't know there were clans within the priestly tribe. You just thought there was a priestly tribe. Moses and Aaron were brothers and they were both from the the clan of the Kohathites. And this is important because Moses and Aaron then were set apart by God after Moses had that divine encounter with a burning bush that was not consumed. And the I am, the I am spoke to him. And because of the fact that Moses heard the voice of God and Aaron became his spokesman, they were set apart by God. And the sons of Aaron and Moses became recognized as a fourth priestly clan separate from the Kohathites. And so you now have four clans instead of three. You've got the Gershonites, you've got the Kohathites, you've got the Merarites, and you've got now the Aaronites. Hmm. Now you say, what? why is that important? I'll tell you what's important. Because the high priest or the Kohen Kodol not only had to be a Levite, he had to be a descendant of Aaron, an Aaronite. He couldn't be of the Gershonites. He couldn't just be of the Kohathites. He couldn't be of the Merarites. He had to be a direct descendant of Aaron. And this is significant because the law of Moses ascribes a special religious and a specific religious function to each one of these four clans. Each one of them were given different responsibilities in the tabernacle, which was the divine meeting place where God met with man. Watch this now. Amen. The Aaronites, the descendants of Aaron, offered the sacrifices unto the Lord and were responsible for the daily rituals and special ceremonies of worship held in the tabernacle. They were the ones directly responsible for how Israel worshiped God Almighty. Oh, that's powerful. When you get to digging into it, the Kohathites were given the responsibility of the care and transportation of the vessels and the objects within the sanctuary. And so they carried the Ark of the Covenant, the menorah, the brazen altar, the laver, the table of showbread, and the golden altar of incense. Nobody else could carry it but them. They alone could carry the, the instruments from the house of God. And the third division was the Gershonites. And they were under the supervision of of the Aaronites and the Gershonites were charged with carrying the curtains, the coverings, the screens, the hangings, the cords, and the instruments, the spoons and the forks and the ladles and everything else of the tabernacle and the tent of meeting when the cloud would move. It was their responsibility to pick all that stuff up and carry it. And it had to be carried and they would carry it in their journey in the wilderness. Mm. You say, what does that matter to me? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you why. Because when they got to where they were going, they were the ones that put it back together. You see, there are people that have the ability to create a change of atmosphere. Mm. Because uh, with no tabernacle, you were in the earthly realm. But when somebody created a meeting place where God was at, you could step into that and everything changed. And, and there are people that that is their gift. They can change the atmosphere of a room. They can change the atmosphere of a meeting that can change the atmosphere in a church and finally there was the fourth division of the Levites which was the Marerites and it was the Marerites who carried the boards 
and the pillars and the sockets and the poles and so forth that held the tabernacle together. And they were responsible, responsible for the foundation of the tabernacle as well. You see, without them, you could have all of the curtains that were beautiful embroidered, embroidered and, and they had angels on them. And, and you could have all uh, uh, of the spectacular, exquisite detail that you would see in the tabernacle. But when you put it together, it would just it would fall because you needed structure and you needed government within the house of God or it would not stand. And so God is showing us a picture of how the church fits together and how your role fits in and my role fits in and your role fits in to create a house where he can step into the middle of it. Mm, I really feel the anointing of God in this place right now. You remove the pillars and the boards and the whole thing would just collapse like that, like a jellyfish on the beach. It, it had no ability to hold itself up or take a particular form. The book of Leviticus is also about the various responsibilities that God charged Israel to keep. Uh, stay with me. I'm going to show you something. It's going to get good in a minute. The book of Leviticus is known for its various injunctions and laws. It contains 613 laws that God's people were required to observe. I don't know many people that get all excited about reading laws. Just quite frankly, that's why some of you and you're reading the Bible through during the year. You come to Leviticus and you put it in high speed. And you just kind of drive right through that and do your speed reading thing. Amen. And get that one behind you and in the rear view mirror because you don't find a whole lot of inspiration many times in the book of Leviticus. But you look at those 613 laws, that wasn't all of it. As a, an example of the way the Jewish scholars interpreted the laws, consider the fourth commandment, which is the commandment to keep, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. It was broken down by Talmudic scholars into 39 major categories with thousands of various prohibitions and interpretations that had to be observed. I read one time that there were over 7,600 laws from just that one law that Israel had to observe. For example, if you were a Jew, on the Sabbath, you could not carry your car keys. You couldn't carry a wallet. You couldn't carry anything that weighed more than a dried fig. You say, well, why not? Because if you carried your car keys, that was considered work. And it was a violation of the Sabbath law. Hmm. If there was a man dying from an accident or an illness and you were trained in the medical profession and you happened to come across him, you could render enough aid to keep him from dying, but not enough to help him get better. Because if he got better, you just did work and violated the Sabbath law. If his condition improved, and it was the Sabbath, you were guilty. Amen. Today, modern day Orthodox Jews still cannot light a match on the Sabbath. Did you know that? 
They can't. And so they asked the Gentiles living in the neighborhood, to, when it comes time to heat up the meal, they asked the Gentile to come strike the match to light the stove. That's the truth. Because lighting the stove is work. And among these 7,600 various laws derived from that one law, you're prohibited to light your stove. The book of Leviticus is not necessarily the most inspiring book because of these things. In fact, when you read the book of Leviticus, it deals with several different themes. Number one, there were themes regarding the offering of sacrifices. And these were the laws dealing with the responsibility to worship God and the manner in which you are to worship him. And you see, it's not only just important to worship God, how you worship God was defined in this book as well. Some people think as long as I worship, I can worship any way I want to. No, 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 no. You are going to get out from underneath authority in a hurry because the Levite had the responsibility to not only lead the people into worship, but regulate how the worship was done. The second theme of the book of Leviticus is there were laws regarding the institution of the priesthood. You see, we think that just anybody can be a priest, especially in today's world. My God, with so much stuff coming out in terms of scandals, and I pray for myself every day. I pray for others every day. God, help me to never bring dishonor to the cross. But you you hear about this one and that one, and, and God had standards for people being in ministry. Not just anybody could be a leader. You didn't just show up doing your thing, whatever you wanted to do and expect somebody to put you on the platform just because you felt called. Well, it's going to get quiet before it gets better. Yeah. Amen. There were requirements that had to be kept to be a spiritual leader because you had to represent man to God and God to man. Number three, additionally, there were myriads of laws regarding uncleanliness and its treatment in the book of Leviticus. And this had to do with protecting Israel from defilement because God wanted to live among them. And God said, I don't want my glory to lift and my favor to lift off of my people. I want to be there today and tomorrow. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. I don't want to go anywhere. So if you will create an atmosphere for me to dwell, I'll show up. Oh, bless his name. And there were laws that belonged to that category. That would help Israel understand what uncleanliness meant and how to treat it. And number four, there were laws concerning the day of atonement or Yom Kippur, which is the day, the one holy day in Israel where the high priest could go behind the veil in the divine presence of God and stand before the Ark of the Covenant with a mercy seat on top and the angels standing there with their wings stretched toward one another. And the Shekinah, 
the Shekinah, the blue flame of fire that represented the presence of the living God hovered in midair. Don't ask anybody how. They couldn't figure it out. It was just hovering in midair. And the high priest would go in on Yom Kippur after going through a personal cleansing process. And, and he would walk in and he would pour the blood upon the mercy seat. And when it hit the mercy seat, it meant that Israel was supposed to be forgiven because there it would be consumed by fire. But do you know what Jewish rabbis say? That in all of the history of Israel, not once did the fire ever hit the mercy seat because God is so merciful. The moment the blood was poured out, the flame consumed it before it ever got to the mercy seat. Hallelujah. God wants to forgive. God wants to bless. You don't know that sometimes because you begin to define who he is on the basis of the desert you're walking through. You begin to think that that the nature of God can be determined by my experience in the middle of this wilderness. No, it can't. There were also the laws that are called the holiness code. That is the name for them. It was a code of separation and they are found in Leviticus chapter 17 through 27. And this code stressed that Israel was separated from the rest of the world because Jehovah God had chosen them as his own. And as his chosen people, Israel was required to model before the rest of the world the very nature of God in their interactions with one another at a civic and a social level as well as a vertical religious level. You didn't just connect with God. You had to also model before humanity the love and the compassion of the God you were serving. So you would connect with God in holiness and worship. And he would forgive you of your sins. But it had to be translated into an everyday life where you touch somebody else with the goodness of God. Hallelujah. And you made a difference in somebody else's life. Hallelujah. God said, you're a separate people. You see, that's one of the big problems and challenges that is being faced by the church right now in today's world. Have you noticed all of the churches that want to be just like them? Huh? I'm preaching to you. Can I hear an amen out there? Amen. Have you noticed how many churches have decided we don't want to be different anymore? We want a king like, is, like the other nations had a king. Is what Israel told God. We want to be like them. And God said, listen, you're my separate treasure. You're my set apart people. My glory will work through you. If you become like them, you lose me. And you don't want to lose my favor and my divinity and my blessing. Because I'm what makes the difference in your life. I'm the one who has set you apart For my glory and my name's sake. Oh my. And so there were social and civil laws at a horizontal level. The way you couldn't serve God and treat your neighbor bad. It is on the basis of these horizontal and civic laws. That Jesus came along and said you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. And then it is on the basis of those civic laws that he explained who our neighbor was when he talked about the good Samaritan who found the man that had fallen among thieves on the road to Jericho. Some people just want to to be all about God and forget about man. Uh -uh, Uh-uh, uh-uh. 
It's got to be vertical as well as horizontal if you're going to please God. And, fi- and, and, and let me just say this in regard to that. That meant that if you were out in the country and you found your neighbor's ox and he was wandering around and the rope had broke, you know what you had to do? You had to take that ox and bring him back to your neighbor. You didn't get to say finders, keepers, losers, weepers, come on to my house. You found a man's wallet, you had to return it. If you wanted to please God, you had to treat your neighbor right. And number six, there were laws regarding the redemption of votive gifts, which are vows that are made unto the Lord. For example, God told Israel, everything that opens the matrix is mine. It belongs to me. And you either have to give it to me or you have to redeem it or kill it. You can't have it for yourself. You've got to give back something to me of equal value. For example, the first fruits. I said it when I began. First fruits are important because what you do first in your life, what we are doing first in this year, this is why we're spending 30 days in prayer and in fasting because we're We're considering first fruits. What you do first is important because it will set the tone for everything that will follow. That's why you give God your tithe. It belongs to him. And when you do that, the first fruit offering, I want you to think about it. The first fruit meant exactly what it said. The first grain, the first harvest that came in when the rest of the crop wasn't even ready to be harvested yet. God said, this is what you do with what comes in first. You bring it to my house and you give it to me. But wait a minute, God, we just came out of winter and I need it. My family needs it. God said, if you do, that's all you can get. But if you give it to me, that harvest that's still out there that hasn't ripened yet, that you haven't reaped yet, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to supernaturally bless it so that it ends up being more than you ever dreamed it could be. And I need the favor of God Almighty on my life. Somebody give God some praise in the house. If you're watching us at home and you're part of our Inspire Online family, give some praise right where you are in the living room. Hallelujah. Now, this is what I want to note as I am about done because I'm, I'm, I'm just about finished. Not once in the book of Leviticus did God say, hey, let's get our heads together and tell me what you think about this. Let's find consensus. Give me your input. No, God said, this is the way it's going to be. I'm God. I get to make that choice. Mm-hmm. As a leader, <laughs> I don't lead that way because I'm not God. As a leader, I ask for the input of our staff and our team. And, and we on occasion will, will even do, uh, uh, as it were, uh, we will do uh, studies of the congregation. We will ask for your suggestions on various things and your input. Because that way I can make a more informed and qualified decision. Buy in from my team of leaders here. The pastoral staff and the board of directors is vital and important to me. And because that determines whether people can, are willing to continue to follow you. But when it's coming to God, guess what? God said, I'm not asking for your approval. I'm not asking for your opinion. Here it is. Do it this way or it won't get done. Oh, Lord, have mercy. He's saying, you don't get to vote on what I decide is right. 
I'm preaching better than you're responding right now. Because in this world of surveys, congregational surveys, neighborhood surveys, surveys of what the denomination thinks of, surveys about what our people think, you got all kind of folks saying all kind of things. But at the end of the day, the only opinion that really truly matters is what does God say about it? Because he is the one before whom we will stand. And it's all of these reasons that I've just mentioned that make Leviticus pretty low on your list as the go-to book for inspiration. You look at that, all of this stuff I've said, and you say, I'm going to get through this book pretty quick and move on and see if I can find something in Deuteronomy. I'm closing But the context of these scriptures is very important. And to understand what God is saying here, you must understand the contextual application of these verses. This book is the third in the five books called the Pentateuch that Moses heard God give him orally on the Mount of Sinai. God spoke these words to him word by word. And you know why God did it? God did it because he was giving Moses the task and the assignment of changing the values and the thinking of the people that had been in slavery for 400 years. He was leading a group of people that had been slaves for for four centuries. Amen. And God knew something about The psychology of our thinking that you may have never considered. This was a huge and daunting responsibility for Moses. Because even though they were now free, they were anything but free. Because they were still thinking like slaves. Even though they didn't have manacles on their hands, they were still looking at life. Like they were somebody's dog or somebody's underling or somebody's servant. They were still bound in their hearts and in their minds. As bound as if they were still carrying chains on their wrist and manacles on their feet. Mm. And still feeling the sting of the taskmaster's whip. You see, this is the point I'm making. When you've been enslaved by anything for a long time, even when you get set free, you're still a slave. Unless you change the way you think. Mm. Give God some praise in this house. Being bound becomes normal to you. It becomes normal. Looking through bars becomes normal. That's true whether it's an addiction, a personal weakness, or an abusive relationship. Amen. It's true if you're living in poverty, you're broke all the time. You say, I tried, no matter how hard I try to get out of this mess. But you know what you find out? That poverty is your default setting on the computer. And you step out a little bit and get a little bit ahead, and something pulls you right back down. You get out of an abusive relationship 
And something pulls you right back into another abusive relationship. Mm. I'm preaching better than you're responding right now. You get used by somebody and you finally break free from that. And then you get sucked back into it with somebody else that's a user. That's because the only people you're attracted to are people that use you. And they learn how to say a sweet word and with a smile and make you feel all nice and fluttery on the inside. And you think I found the love of my life this time for sure. And you're just soaring and flying. I believe I can fly. And the next thing you know, it's... You crash and burn. That's because they aren't interested in you for you. They're interested in you for what they can get out of you. And you got to change some stuff up here before you ever are able to become everything that God has for you. And again, I want to say to the husbands in the room, don't worry, I'm not, I'm not telling her to put you by the curb right now. Or wives, I'm not, I'm not telling him to put you by the curb. If you're married, make it work. But what I'm trying to do is talk to some single people and, and some people who have been through broken relationships. And I'm telling you, you need to clean the junk out. Get rid of the junk and set it by the road. Set it by the road. You've got to clean the junk out if you want to receive what God has in store for you in 2021. Very quickly, and I summarize this with three points. Number one, you must discern what is working against you. That can be a lot harder to do than you realize. That's because to do that, you've got to be able to do self-analytics. You've got to be able to self-diagnose. There are very few people that can do that effectively. It's kind of like these programs on the computer and even on your iPhone. Did you know on your iPhone that there is something you can go to that will, that will self-diagnose the problems with your iPhone? Here's the trouble with that. It's on your iPhone, but it's not on you. You don't have an app on you. Oh, the reason I keep doing this is because of this right here. Paul said this in Romans 12. He said, present yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. But be transformed. Get rid of the junk in the renewing of your mind. You gotta put the junk beside the road. You gotta kick it out. You gotta set it by the road. You can hold on to something because you think it's harmless, and yet that may very well be the biggest problem you have in your life. You just hadn't figured it out yet. Or it might mean. That the problem that you want to get rid of is the very thing God's trying to work through to bring you to where you need to be. That desert that you're walking through. 
you're there for a reason. And then number two, not only do you have to diagnose what is working against you, you've got to throw out what is working against you. Throw it out, throw it out, throw it out, throw it out. Don't bring in a new sofa and keep that old water-stained, moldy, smelly thing sitting over there in the corner. You need to get rid of that thing. Putting in new carpet and you got all that old moldy carpet sitting in your garage like you're going to ever use that again. Don't just diagnose your problem. Get rid of it. Put it out. Throw it out. Hallelujah. You can't receive what God is planning on giving you this year if you keep holding on to everything. That is keeping you from the blessings of God. I feel, the, I feel the anointing of God in that. You might even think that what you're dealing with has been there so long it won't ever change. But this is your year to change it right here. You need to get used to different. That's a word for somebody in this house. Get used to different. Different is going to be good. Clap your hands and say different is going to be good. Different is going to be good. And the last thing, after you've diagnosed what is holding you back and working against you, and after you've thrown it out, then you need to put the junk beside the road. Don't put it on the back porch. Don't put it in the backyard. Don't put it out there in the front yard or in the driveway. Uh Uh-uh. Don't put it in the garage. You got to put it by the road. What do I mean by that? There's some fellas coming along your neighborhood on Tuesday morning with a truck. They'll pick it up and carry it away if it's beside the road. They're not going to come in your yard and get it. Put it out by the road. You be decisive. You be deliberate. You make up your mind. And you say, I'm not putting it just halfway out the door. Uh Uh-uh. I'm diagnosing what my problem is. I'm throwing it out. But then I'm rolling up my shirt sleeves and I'm walking out there and I'm going to get a hold of it. And I'm going to drag it all the way to the road and I'm going to leave it right there and let somebody else be, pick it up if they want it before the trash man gets here. There was somebody in our neighborhood a few months ago that put a lawn chair, not a lawn chair, but a, a, a lazy boy chair out beside the road. And I watched it. It stayed there a couple of days. And then somebody came by and asked the owner, that chair out there, do you mind if I have it? I want you to tell the devil right now, Mr. Devil, you don't even need to ask. You can have it. I put it by the road. It's your problem now. It's not mine. Somebody give God some praise in this house. Somebody give God some praise in this house. And by that, I mean, I'm getting rid of it permanently. Stand with me across the building. You see, because if you just put it out in the front yard, 
you might decide to drag it back in. You get to feeling nostalgic. Oh, I, I miss all this. You know, I remember, and you get to thinking of the good times, and you forget about all the bad ones. And you start dragging that junk back in that's holding you back. Get rid of the thinking this year that is not allowing you to be who God called you to be. Get rid of it. He will not ask you to give up anything that it's not best for you that you give it up. 